1: Today, expert knowledge is so highly valued that we learn to lead first as the expert whose mastery of the details helps teams solve problems. Eventually, as your leadership role expands, expert leaders find themselves in a role where others know more. Details are no longer so accessible, and decisions are made without a full understanding. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone with Dr. Wanda Wallace. It's time to find out how to make the transformation smooth and flawless. Now, here is Dr. Wanda Wallace.
0: Welcome to the show. I'm Wanda Wallace. We have a great show for today. So I want to start with good bosses and not-so-good bosses. We all experience both of those. Everybody I coach has some of each category. And maybe you are a good boss, and maybe you're not such a good boss for some people. So the focus for today is really twofold. First, how can you cope with a boss that is not ideal for you? And then second, what do you need to be doing if you're the manager to avoid being that not-so-great boss? Or to put it differently... What do you need to do to be a good boss that also gets results? How do you lead in a way that creates balance, meaning, and purpose? And how can you positively impact the culture of the group that you lead? So with me today is Karen Hurt. Karen is CEO of Let's Grow Leaders. She's a keynote speaker, a consultant, an MBA professor, years as a Verizon wireless executive, voted as Inc.'s 100 great speakers, um, a top, top thought leader in trust, by Trust Across America, and her latest book is called Winning Well, The Manager's Guide to Getting Results Without Losing Your Soul. So Karen, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to have you here. Really looking forward to this. I know you want to talk about the positive of how do you lead effectively, but I want to focus on the negative first. You've written about how to deal with the not ideal boss, keeping in mind that what might be bad for me is not necessarily bad for everybody around me. So, what's the secret to managing a boss? Well, it starts
2: by recognizing that your boss is an imperfect human being just like you and is likely doing the best that they can. And I believe that if you start from that place, it gives you so much freedom and power because you're not um, feeling like something negative is being done to you, that you realize that you're in a relationship and just like any other relationship, you have um, some some power and some control to make it better and so, what I like to do is then give people specific techniques that they can use to to help um, build on that relationship.:
0: I love this notion that you take when you say it that way that you recognize a person's imperfect, they've got some strengths and some not some limitations. But it puts you back in control of the relationship as opposed to being a victim. Yes. That's a powerful stance. So, give me an example about one of the challenging bosses that you've seen and kind of what's your technique for dealing with those people or that kind of person?
2: Okay. So, well, uh, one, and I know that a number of people that I deal with, I work with, have dealt with bosses like this, that they're just so moody. And uh I, I have this story that from earlier in my career when I was, was at Verizon, we had this boss, and she was very, very bright and creative and moody. <laughs> and so what we did was we gave her two Barbie dolls. Uh, one was immaculately dressed with pearls and high heels, which is how she showed up. Um, and then the other, we took a magic marker and wrote it on the Barbie doll's face, and we made the, we ripped the clothes, and we made the hair crazy, and we say, okay, here, here's the story. You have this evil twin, and every now and then this evil twin comes out. So we just like you to use these Barbie dolls to warn us. Um, if, if things are, if you're in this kind of mood, just put this evil twin out on your desk, and we'll know to stay away. Now she laughed so hard, um, but it was a really sort of gentle, fun way. And we did, of course, we chose a good Barbie day when she was in a great mood to give her that, um, and then enabled us to, to open up the dialogue. She's like, "I really am, can be witchy sometimes, can I?" And uh, so let's talk about that. And then we had a productive dialogue. So, you know, so that that was uh, one example.
0: So, I see variations on this theme all the time, sometimes men, sometimes women, where my word is the boss is often quite volatile. And it's not so much they're moody, so long as the moody doesn't get turned on you. But, you know, a volatile boss is the one that comes back at you. You know, sometimes they can yell and scream, even though we know that shouldn't happen. It does happen. Yeah. So, So, the dialogue is great. But, boy, does that take a lot of courage.
2: It does. I, you know, I had a circumstance one time where I, you know, I think the other thing I really like to teach people is that you really need to get control of your own emotions and stay grounded and realize that what is happening, it may be about something that you've done, but it's not about you. And so you, to try to stay as objective as possibly can with it. So, uh, for example, um, uh, there was a circumstance I was working in a call center, um, and I had, it was about a 300-person call center, and I was about to go give a, a big motivational speech for uh, something that we were about to kick off that was really, really important. And uh, as my, uh, my boss came in, and she was visiting from out of town, and as she was walking through the call center, she saw a, a, a rep that had some um, proprietary customer information out, which is like the number one no-no in call centers, right? You have to do everything to protect the customer's information. And so she went crazy. She's like, everything, this whole project is going to be in jeopardy. Everything's going to be wrong. You're not going to pass the audit that you need if you have this happening. And she's screaming, screaming, screaming at me. And it was like five minutes before I had to go give this big motivational speech. And so I... I just, I, I calm, I did not match her level of intensity. I just, I took her inside of my office because she was doing this real, really publicly. I took her inside of my office and said, I, I so understand that you are upset and you have every right to be. Clearly, that is completely unacceptable. And I will own that and will make sure that, fix, fix that situation. And I assure you that this is not the way we normally operate. Um, I said, And then she still was screaming, and I said, okay, here's the deal. I have to go motivate these 300 people, and um, I am not going to be able to lead well from a place if if, if I am upset. So I have to stay calm. Um, We can revisit this conversation again after my speech. And I walked away. And I, I was very, very nervous because I thought, what is she going to do to me at this point? I mean, I just basically walked out on her conversation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I gave the speech. She watched the speech. And do you know what? We never had a follow-up conversation. Mm-hmm. So I, I think, you know, it's almost like a jujitsu move sometimes, you know, when it, it, there – because the tendency, the human natural thing to do is when somebody is upset – is to come back at them and be and match their level of intensity. But if you can stay calm, then it has a soothing effect and it can help diffuse the situation. It's hard to continue to be really, really emotional when nobody else in the room is catching that emotion.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is sort of like the basics of how to deal with an emotional outburst in front of you is to keep yourself calm. And I often say to people, if you just take some deep breaths, if you can lower the tone of your voice so that you slow down your voice just a tiny little bit and you're showing calm, that that's the fastest way to bring somebody else down. Do you have any other techniques, though, that you've used or you tell people to use?
2: Well, um, I have a model that I call the persuade model, and I talk about this in my first book, which is actually called Overcoming an Imperfect Boss. Um, but pers- so uh, this is how do you convince um, someone in a rational way to your point of view and it works extremely well when you're managing up and so uh, is the, the persuade is an acronym um, but private p is for private make sure you're doing it offline and not confronting people in front of their peers your peers and you know you're just really having a private conversation um, emotion you're keeping the emotion calm and and have an even keel um, research your collecting data and making sure you've really done your homework about what you're trying to do. Um, You know, share. Share your concerns frankly. Speak speak your truth. Um, Share why you're concerned about the business or the impact on the business. And then U is for understand, um, that you really want to listen carefully to their point of view. Um, And then A is acknowledge. Acknowledge their point of view so they understood that that you get them, what they're trying to say. Um, D is for data, because often after you've done all that, there's still more data. You've done your research earlier, but now you've got to maybe go back and get more data. Um, and then engage is E. Uh, and that's, this is my favorite, which is engage your supporting team. Um, so p- maybe people who would have it normally have a different opinion than you and have them come in and help support your, what you're trying to accomplish. Um, so, for example... I was trying to convince a boss one time that we really needed to lower quotas, and I was a sales director, and that, uh, that the team's getting discouraged. And you know, um, if by lowering quotas it would be motivational, well, of course you know, that would lower my quota too. So I, you know, I could ha- easily have an ulterior motive there. But I brought the finance guy in. Now you would think the finance guy would not want to lower quotas uh, because that would be make uh, be, you know, now be having to pay out more compensation. But he said, absolutely, we got to do this. Give them a taste of, uh, of success, and that will be motivating. And so he went with me to my boss and explained why we needed lower quotas, and they did.
0: That's fabulous. I love that. Um, I, I often talk about it in terms of find your allies. Yeah. Because if you're the only one who thinks that you're not going to get it through. If you can find somebody else who thinks the same thing, then you got a better shot at getting your answer through. Yeah. Okay, so we have in the midst of an explosive boss that the tactic is to stay calm, Mm -hmm. to speak the truth, to find people who support you, to take it offline, to be private about it, and offer to come back at a later point, which is exactly what you've done. Let's shift and talk about a different kind of boss. The second one I hear the biggest complaints about, and I'm going to use the word aloof, meaning they're distant. They're hard to read. They often feel cold, though they don't think they're being cold. You just can't get a connection going with them, and you're quite ne- never sure where they're coming from. Have you seen that type, and what's your advice? I have, and I'd
2: say the first thing I would say is try to figure out why they are this way. Is it their? Per- is it just that their personality um, is? It, it, they're they're acting this way to everybody. Or are they disengaged? Because if they're if they're disengaged and they you know maybe they're already moved moved on psychologically to another job or um, you know they're getting ready to retire, I think you really need to understand which of those two things you know and or maybe other things are happening. Um, if they are are very aloof, it could be that they they're of the mindset that they ought to be extremely private, and so I would say you know there I would just. Offer and say, what can I be doing to better support you? I really want to be as successful as I possibly can be in this job, and so what do you think I need to be doing um, to make a better impact? And initiate the conversation. Um, and, you know, you don't want to say, hey, you're aloof, but you just do want to say, I really care about having a really great relationship with you. What does that look like? How can I be most helpful? And it's very hard at that when, when being asked something that direct, to, just to say, uh, everything's fine, right? I mean, if they say, oh, everything's fine, okay, well, that's, that's great. I'm glad to hear it's going well. I want to make it fantastic, right? And so you push the envelope a little more and see what they say. Now, if your boss is just totally disengaged, which I have experienced and I have seen, I, I get that complaint a lot from my clients. And I would say this gives you an opportunity here Um, and maybe some flexibility to really do some creative things. Um, so first of all, if your, if your boss isn't paying that close of attention, you probably have more opportunity to experiment and do some things, uh, to improve the business that you, without having to go get approval. So I'd say, you know, the first thing there is, um, you know, stay within all the parameters that you need to, but, um, having a disengaged boss can actually be a blessing because you can take on more of that role, strategic role. Um, okay. Yeah, I would say if they're disengaged, you also now have a um, – it kind of forces you to broaden your network, right, to seek out mentors, uh, to focus more on building your peer relationships. And so that is what I would do there. And so stop relying and wishing you had uh, a boss that you don't have, but figure out who else you can draw in to be part of your support network. Um, so those are, those are a couple of things.
0: That makes sense. And then we're also back to the same thing you said before in your Persuade model, the notion about engaging your supporting team. So it's not just me going out doing whatever risks I want to take, but bringing other people along with me, expanding my network, expanding my influence. I like that idea. So. Karen, talk for a minute about, you know, we all come on the world as introverts or extroverts. It's kind of a big category. And an introvert, I'm going to use a classic definition for this, is somebody who gets energy from being able to pull inward and think inwardly. Mm-hmm. An extrovert is the opposite. They get energy from being able to talk engage with other people. Often, if we're mismatched on style, so that I'm an intro- extrovert dealing with an introverted boss, I can never get any energy out of them. What's your advice in that scenario?
2: Understand, understand their style, and it, so it's it's very interesting because um, I've I just had this conversation this week with a client uh, because he's extremely introverted, and I, I know you'll find this shocking. I'm pretty extroverted, uh, so we were um, we were talking. We had this big strategic meeting with a whole bunch of other players, and at the end, he was just exhausted. Right? From all of that extroverting. And, and so, but we just talked about it. You know, he said, I'm, I'm just done. And I said, okay. It's because we just had this big meeting. That makes so much sense. I'm all pumped up because I've just extroverted, you're exhausted. So let's just take a break, right? And uh, so we went, he had some tea, and then we came back, and then we were able to really focus for the rest of the day. So I think understanding that your styles are different and accommodating that is important. Um, and then I would say the other thing is you want to um, – Really understand what it is that your boss needs and how they like to receive information um, and so again it 's raising that conversation and, and actually talking about it um, and you know saying all right well I, I really um, I really want to be successful here. So, what does it look like um, to follow through after a meeting? How what, how do you want uh, the information presented to you? Um, if they're an introvert, they're probably going to want it in the email and bulleted summaries. They're not going to want to just, um, you know, have this long debrief uh, with you about it. So, does that does that help? Does that answer your that, question.
0: That makes a lot of sense. It sounds like through in all of these, you're advocating one understand where the other person's coming from and what's driving it. B, don't take it personally. And then C, open the conversation. Yes. All right, any other tips in general? Let's get out of the bad boss and focus on uh, managing up in general. You've talked about your persuade model. Any one other uh, yeah. tip for managing yeah. up? Yeah,
2: so um, I think they I, I, I have a big rule which I call the no blind side rule. And I actually teach that whenever I have a have a team of people that's reporting into me and I say, "Okay, number one rule is no blind side. if, you, if there is bad news, I want to hear it from you, you know? I don't want to hear it through the grapevine. I don't I want to hear it from my boss. I don't want to hear it from a customer. I want to hear it from you. And so I teach the uh, method called the DARN method, um, which is of giving bad news. And this actually, I happened because one of my direct reports had to give me really bad news, and she did it so elegantly that I couldn't be mad. And so I, I wrote, I'm like, okay, there's got to be an acronym for this. And I, I figured one out, and, I, and now I teach it, and it really, it's so simple, but it's darn. So the first is disclosure. Like, okay, I, I screwed up, or we have a problem, or this happened. it just be very matter-of-fact about what's wrong there. So, um, you know, so that's, the, that's the first thing. Um, and then from there, you want to say, um, okay. So then you're going to acknowledge what happened and explain it. Um, and then so then what you really want to do is take responsibility. The R responsibility, right? And then you're going to talk about next steps. So you know, even if your team screws up, taking accountability and say, "Okay, this happened. I own it. I should have been paying closer attention, or um, I perhaps the, the you know the training wasn't good." Just take responsibility. Don't blame your team, and then from there, say, "Okay, this is what the next steps are. This is how I fix the situation, or this is what I need from you to help me fix the situation." And by owning that, that you are managing up so well because it's very, very difficult for um, your boss to be really mad at you if you're already admitting that you've made a mistake.
0: That's fabulous. I've interviewed a number of managers asking them how they would like to someone to say no. Most managers don't want to hear no or bad news to begin with, mm-hmm. but it happens. It's inevitable as part of the job. And there's a very similar story. So I really like your acronyms, acronym mm-hmm. DARN disclosure, acknowledge responsibility, and the next steps. What are you going to do about it? Don't just come to me with a problem. I want to know what's going to happen now. I love that. Number one rule, no blind sides. And then I also love your persuade model as another way of managing up. So do it privately. R- keep your emotions calm. Do your research and your homework. Um, share your concerns and trust. Uh, build trust in that one Understand, listen carefully, acknowledge what's going on, go back to the data again and engage. Make sure you have a supporting team around you. All right, we're going to take a break. With me today is Karen Hurt. Karen is CEO of Let's Grow Leaders. The book is Winning Well Manager's Guide to Getting Results Without Losing Your Soul. Karen also has fabulous courses that are available online on her website letsgrowleaders.com. We'll be right back. When we come back, now I want to turn this to the positive and I want to talk about what is it that the best of managers do any rate and how do you, how can you improve your management and leadership capability? We'll be right back. Music.
1: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America.
2: How is your work-life balance? In most businesses, no matter where you are positioned, there is always room for improvement. If you're an executive, learn insight about your business. Are you an employee? Learn how to better work with your team. Even if you're not in business, you can learn where your strengths and weaknesses can be played to their best potential. The Work-Life Balance with host Rick Morris can be heard live every Friday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel.
1: If you want more information on the coaching and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. If you are interested in finding out more, you can also purchase a copy of the forthcoming book or any of Dr. Wallace's current books by clicking on the links under the resources tab on our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're also sure to find some handy links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it the boardroom to you. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace.com at leadershipforuminc.com Now back to out of the comfort zone
0: Welcome back with me today is Karen Hurt. Karen is CEO of Let's Grow Leaders. She's a keynote speaker, a consultant, and MBA professor, years experience as an executive at Verizon Wireless, and a bunch of other awards that make her a fabulous speaker on a whole bunch of issues. The topic of her recent book is Winning Well, A Manager's Guide to Getting Results Without Losing Your Soul. Sounds perfect to me. Now, we've just been talking about how to deal with the less-than-perfect boss. And to recap on that one, basically one is allow that manager to be an imperfect human being, just as we're all imperfect, to try to understand where that person is coming from. And then three, in a calm, private moment, start a dialogue around how you can improve the situation between the two of you. Easily said, not always so easily done, particularly when emotions are part of it. But now we want to turn the table. We've been talking about the less than ideal managers. Let's go the other direction. And I want to talk about what is it that the good managers, and when I say managers, bosses, it's also leaders. They're all the same for me. What do the good managers and leaders do that distinguishes them? So Karen, this is the subject of your recent book, Winning. Well, what distinguishes the best managers?
2: yeah so the model that we talk about the winning well model is that there are there are two continuums that you really need to focus on first is the confident humility continuum so confidence having really strong audacious vision um, being willing to step outside and take some risks right that makes a great boss because you that's you want a a boss to inspire you, right, and to help you achieve more than you ever thought possible. So that kind of confidence, um, you want your boss to be able to be confident to help manage up and bre- you know break through and and convince. Uh, the senior team to do what you need done to have have the confidence to get you the resources you need so that's the confidence but it needs to be balanced with humility and when we talk about humility um, being willing to surround themselves with people that will challenge them um, being willing to be vulnerable um, and to open up and to admit mistakes and so it's that it's having both of that that very important confident humility dynamic is the first part and then the second part is results, balancing a really um, aggressive approach to achieving results because you, you, let's face it, you want a boss who's going to help you accomplish what you're there to accomplish, right? Holding you accountable. So And then, but the other side of that continuum is focusing on relationships. And so, um, you know, getting to know you as a human being, um, being willing to uh, work sideways across departments to help you get things done, uh, to be, be a leader that people want to follow so when you have that sweet spot of confidence and humility and results and relationships that's where you really see uh, the winning well uh, type of behaviors coming out
0: i love those two and i love the notion of the balance between the two of them because we certainly see leaders who get out of balance in either one of those continuums so you can see leaders who get overly confident without any humility and that tends to feel like a really rocky ride on occasion.
2: Yes, when you you know the, the, we say when confidence is a, outweighs humility and results are outweighing relationships, that's where you're really getting see managers who are very sh- focused on getting the short-term results no matter what it takes. But they're burning out employees over the long run. Um, People are feeling like they're working in an abusive environment. They're stressed. You're going to see a lot of turnover. People are going to feel frustrated. Maybe they're feeling like victims. So that's what happens in the scenario that you're describing there. All
0: right. Now, what about the other direction? This implies that you can be too humble. Absolutely. So if you've got
2: a situation where your humility is outweighing confidence and people are overly focused on relationships and what people think about them and more so than results, that's what we call the pleaser manager. Um, and so they're so focused on being liked, they're not really accomplishing anything. Um, you see you know, the politics of, of hiding uh, come out. Maybe they're very reactive. Um, not taking accountability for what needs to happen. And although you know, working for someone, who's, you know a manager who's soft like that, uh, may feel good for the first week, and you say, oh, gosh, this is such a nice guy. But if you're not accomplishing anything, you, you, you will soon be very, very frustrated working for a person like that. And the other thing is they shift onto who they're trying to please. So if all of a sudden they're uh, doing everything they can Hand just to please their own boss, even if it's not the right thing, you're going to see a lot of negative behaviors come out as well.
0: Okay, so let's go to the other extreme. This whole notion of relates results in relationship. Um, Without a doubt, people say to me, in fact, one of my favorite uh, sports coaches in the soccer slash football world, depending on which continent you're sitting on, says that if you want people to follow you, what you do is got to win. If you're not winning, nobody's following you. And that's your results notion. Yep. what about the manager that's too focused on the relationships? Yeah. Does that always come with too much humility?
2: It does not always come with too much humility. I think if you see people, that's where I see you falling into what we call the gamer, uh, category, where people are so focused on, um, you know, they're, they're not really focused on the re- results, they're focused on the relationships, and they are playing a lot of games to get people to like them, to get people to do what they want to do, um, maybe they're talking out of both sides of their mouth, um, saying one thing, doing another, and just to try to preserve relationships. And when you see that, you're, you're, what you're you're not getting the results you need and i I agree with your your friend the coach who says if you're not winning nobody's following you right you you absolutely that's why you're in business and that's why you're in a leadership role and uh, people will follow people who will help them achieve more than they thought they could
0: that makes a ton of sense. I, the The um, manager that is too focused on the relationships reminds me of the description that we often give where it's the last in principle, meaning the last person in their office is the one who gets what they wanted and what yeah. you just need to make sure is you're the last one in and yeah. nobody comes after you. That's a two relationship focused. Yep. Okay. All right. And presumably can also be too results oriented where it's just the results forget everything else.
2: Yeah, I mean, when you're just overly focused on results, then people will feel like you're use, that they're pawns in your scheme, right? And uh, they, why doesn't he care about me? This is where you see. This is why you know Gallup says that seventy percent of American workers are disengaged, right? It's because people feel like they don't have a connection a human connection to what they're doing. They don't get the bigger picture. People are not taking the time to explain to them why they're doing what they're doing, and they're just telling them what to do. And that is not inspiring for the long run. You may get things done for a minute, um, and, and you know, if you really need to get something done right away, and you know, th- th- then sometimes you just have to say, "We're just all about the business right now." But if you do that every time and never settle back and, and uh, work to build the relationships, really going to have a problem. Um, it, it was very interesting to me. I just got off the phone with a manufacturing VP who's uh, taking his team through my online course. And so we were just checking in to see how things were going, and he said, you know the thing that has happened that is so astounding to me? He said, I am spending all this time focusing on leadership development and helping people understand the big picture vision. It's more than I've ever spent time on before, and you know what's happening to our results? He says, they are like on this upward trajectory, and every single item in our scorecard is getting better. And the... The truth is, I've been talking less about the results than I normally do. And he says, so clearly by investing in the people, it's, it's getting a lot more people focused on what really needs to happen, and the results are coming as a side effect uh, to me working on leadership development. I thought, I thought it was a wonderful, wonderful story.
0: That's a fabulous example, but that also means that the other continuum, the confidence and the humility, was in appropriate balance so that there was a sense of vision and they were spending some effort along that one in conjunction with the relationship side.
2: Very true.
0: All right, so now suppose I'm sitting here wondering how well I have these two continuums balanced. So the continuum between being confident. And humble at neither end focused on one versus the other and the continuum being results oriented and relationship oriented, not overly focused on one or the other. How do I know if I've got those two in the right balance?
2: Well, I mean, the, the first thing I would say is we have a self-assessment that will be <laughs> in the book, uh, so people could uh, can go and, and do that. But, you know, I think the thing is you really want to get feedback, right? You want to ask people, how am I doing? I am a huge, huge believer in 360-degree feedback, um, and you can do that with formal tools. Uh, there's lots of great tools out there. I actually build build 360 tool into my online course, um, but... You can also do it by on your own. You know, um, you, could, you could go to your boss and say, look, I'm really focused on trying to have this balance of confidence and humility results in relationships. What do you think? And then ask your peers and ask your, ask your direct reports. And then put that against how you would evaluate yourself. Um, it's interesting. I just had a group go through um, it was an oil company and they just went through the, the 360 that's associated with my course. And this one woman said, it's so interesting because everybody rated me higher than I rated myself. Mm-hmm. And she's like, I think I have a confidence problem. And so we had a really good... First of all, she she was open to saying that in front of all her peers, which I thought was very, very interesting. And um, so... We talked about what do you do? How how do you then build up your confidence? Because if you're if you're overly humble, right, that's going to impact your your ability to lead. So people are telling her she's good, but she needs to also believe that in herself and make sure that she is using appropriate language and doing everything she can um, to get her point of view across. So for her, that was the aha based on that 360, and now she's got an action plan about how to show up more confident.
0: So that's an, that is an interesting example. Just as an aside, I don't want to get too far down this one, Rob Kaiser and I just finished a massive study of 360 data analysis of men and women, and one of the interesting findings is that women in general can be harder on themselves than men in general. Now, I have to say in my coaching practice, I see plenty of men who are also hard on themselves, but that overly hard on yourself is probably a pretty good clue that you need to ump up your confidence in uh, comparison to the humility.
2: I see that in my MBA students, that the women tend to be more hard on themselves than others, uh, whereas a man, uh, I mean, these are generalizations, as you say, right? But as a pattern, um, if somebody is struggling with a project or something, they say, oh, well, I just didn't understand that concept. A woman may say, wow, maybe I'm
0: not as smart as the rest of the people in the group. Right,
2: right. And, and they made the exact same mistake,
0: yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Understood. Um, before we go too, too far down the diversity, I will also say privately, men say to me all the time, I feel like my confidence is not where it needs to be. So they recognize the need to have it and to get that balance back the right way. But men struggle with it as much as women do. It's an interesting point. So let's go back to this notion. Again, we're back to the the balance in two continuums, confident and humble, Results-oriented and relationship-oriented. Are there any other sort of things to note to avoid falling into a trap?
2: Well, my big thing that I really work with folks on is being authentic. Um, is to really identify what are your values as a leader and what are your operating principles as a leader. Uh, I, I developed a personal practice kind of early on in my career that any time I was moving to a new position, I would write, down, I would take out what the values that I believed I had written them down, the values and the operating principles. And every time I move into a new position, I would pull out that sheet and I would say, Okay, how did I do in the last job? About operating according to my values and my operating principles and what do I need are these still the things that are going to make me successful in this new job is there any lessons that I've learned along the way do I want to revisit this do I want to add anything and so just having that time to really reflect really I think keeps you grounded because as a leader especially as you rise in the business you're going to be pressured to do things that are against your principles and that isn't a very uncomfortable way to lead. If, if you are it's, it's uncomfortable when you're having to take the stand, it's it's even more uncomfortable when you compromise your values. And so knowing you know what what you really believe and 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 committing to staying the course with those really can make a difference. Um, I, I know that there's a number of times where I had to really stand up for something or someone. Um, And I was very, very worried about my career, but doing it in the right way, I have never regretted sticking to my core values.
0: That's interesting. Do you have a technique for identifying your core values? I know there are a number of systems available, but is there one you use?
2: Well, I do. I have a, a technique that I teach called um, building your leadership credo, which is mm-hmm. what is you know, the, you're the, sort of this I believe, you know, from NPR days of, uh, yep. yep. And so I say, you know, you you basically you identify what are your values, um, and so you, and you write them down, and then what are your operating principles? So, um, you know, like for me, uh, one of the one of the operating principles that I learned too late, I think in my career, I wish I had learned it earlier was that your your peers are your lifeline, and so that you really need to treat your peers um, with as much energy and um, and support as you do your direct reports and um, so I Put that in, deliberately into my um, into my operating principles that I would def- always focus on supporting my peers no matter what they needed, and um, that really once I put that into my credo, it sh- things shifted, and um, uh, that is where when my career really began to take off. So think about where are your blind spots too, and and make sure that you've got some operating principles that um, you know, that are there, and then from there, um, so. You, That credo exercise then says, what are your values? What are your operating principles? And then what are some specific behaviors that you really need to focus on in the short term to make sure that you're living according to those things?
0: Great. I like that one. I love your um, operating principle, this notion about peers. I often say to people who are struggling internally with their career and getting the right momentum first is unless your peers are following you, you're not going very far. Because ultimately, that is what is going to drive it. And the second, I talked to so many people who have fabulous external relationship skills. Just turn those relationship skills inside so that Mm -hmm. you're treating people internally the same way you would be treating your customers. That's an example of an operating principle. But I like that notion of what are the rules in effect I want to be sure I live by and making sure that any blind spots I know, I have an operating principle to cover that one.
2: Yeah. So, for example, another operating principle is that I am going to meet one on one with every member of my team each week. All right. That's uh, operating principle. Now, you're going to fail sometimes, but if you make that and, and that is a core thing, way you're going to lead, then you've got to hold yourself accountable when you keep
0: pushing it off. Okay. All right, so I can imagine back to your model of winning well, that if I sat down and said, even if I couldn't quite get the values, I'd probably get a few of them, but I could go to the operating principles and I make sure that I've got the two continuums balanced in my operating principles, the confident and the humble, the result and the relationship. That that would be pretty good acid test for whether I'm avoiding any blind spots, blind uh-huh. traps. Uh-huh. Okay. All right, we're going to take a break again. When we come back, I want to tell you, we've been talking with Karen Hurt, CEO of Let's Grow Leaders. If you're interested in Karen's online courses or taking your team through that, the website is letsgrowleaders.com. The book is Winning Well, Manager's Guide to Getting Results Without Losing Your Soul. And as you just heard, there's a 360 assessment that's part of that book. The notion of the best leaders and managers keep a balance between two continuums, staying confident and staying humble, staying results-oriented and staying relationship-oriented. And they don't let either of them get too far out of balance for too long of a period of time. When we come back, I want to talk about the culture. So, take this out of me as an individual leader and into the culture that I create around me. We'll be right back. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN.
1: If you want more information on the coaching and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. If you are interested in finding out more, you can also purchase a copy of the forthcoming book or any of Dr. Wallace's current books by clicking on the links under the resources tab on our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're also sure to find some handy links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. Your entrepreneurial vision has taken hold. Your business is growing. It's everything you hoped for. Or is it? With growth comes bigger headaches, more hiring, more capital, more customers to satisfy, more employees to manage, more plates to juggle, and more demands on your time. Get off that merry-go-round now. Tune in to the Business Edge with Marcia Zeidel. You'll meet street-smart entrepreneurs and business leaders sharing their success stories as well as practical solutions to the unique challenges faced by growing companies. Heard every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific, on the Voice America Business Channel. business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network you are listening to out of the comfort zone to reach dr wanda wallace or her guest call into the program at 1-866-472-5790 again that's 1-866-472-5790 You may also send an email to Wanda.Wallace at LeadershipForumInc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone.
0: Welcome back. With me is Karen Hurt. Karen is CEO of Let's Grow Leaders. She's a keynote speaker, a consultant, an MBA professor, an executive for several years, and voted as Inc.'s 100 Great Leadership Speakers, also voted as a top thought leader in trust by Trust Across America. The book is Winning Well, A Manager's Guide to Getting Results Without Losing Your Soul. And we've talked about how to deal with managers who are less than ideal and recognizing that they're just... Uh, imperfect human beings like all of us, and some tactics for managing through that. And then we turn to talk about what makes for the most inspirational, admired leaders. And Karen has given her view that that has to do with balancing two continuums, one being confident and being humble, as well as being results-oriented and being relationship-oriented. So Karen, I want to turn now and talk about the culture. Now, Do you also describe cultures of companies as having a balance between those same continuums? Absolutely, yeah. You know, that is... Culture is all
2: about values, right? And, and where are you placing your values, and how are you operating according to your values? And so, yes, you need—you know—we have—we see it all the time, right? Our com- companies that have either confidence or humility out of balance, or, or overly focused on results and not focused on relationships. So, it is how are people acting throughout, and what are the cultural norms, and uh, according to those. Uh, four continuums and how are they showing up, are those companies showing up in the world and interacting and, and do they have the confidence to take the bold moves that they need to take or do they have the humility to be willing to change course if they, if they need to change course?
0: That's interesting. It reminds me, thinking about this, reminds me of a CEO I know who, Dalgu absolute, total core value is about excellence and about people who are really top of their game in everything they do. Needless to say, that means that it gets to be very results-oriented, and the culture that has been created underneath him is a very results-driven culture. Mm-hmm. And that leads to a little bit of dysfunctionality in some ways, a bit of winner-take-all. Yep. Okay? Yep.
2: And when you see that, you're going to see people taking shortcuts, and begin, that's where unethical behavior comes in. And because if people are doing whatever it takes, and you're looking the other way and and applauding that um, and ignoring the you know the things that may be uh, really um, bad in the long term, you're going to end up having what we call soul sucking culture.
0: Yeah, that would pretty well describe what the current state of affairs is for this particular part of the business. All right, so if I, let's imagine I am a leader and I take over from somebody who's had a bit of a winner-take-all culture, how do I go about altering that culture?
2: Yeah, so first of all, it's difficult to change. I mean, if you're... If you're at the top, then I think it's very, very important to be very deliberate and articulate the change that you're making and why you're making it. So that's the first thing. If you are saying, I've got to change this culture, you need to communicate where you're headed, why you're headed, and communicate that again and again and again through every single channel that you possibly can. Uh, David and I, in our book, we, we talk about, you know, every 28 days, you really need to be reinforcing all of the things that are core to your business. And if you're not doing that, um, people will forget. And then when you're communicating the, the behaviors that you need, it's always five times, five different ways. Um, and until you feel like you are saying things that people must be sick of you, you keep, so, you keep saying even more uh, because that's how things are really going to get embedded in the culture. Um, what I would also say is that if you are not in charge think about your sphere of influence as building a cultural oasis. And I have seen companies, people in companies do this very well, that even though the culture is exemplifying some of these user behaviors, they have said, not in my corner. We're going to lead differently here and we're going to get the results that we need by focusing on relationships and results, confidence and humility, um, and, and building a pocket of excellence. And then when that starts to get results, which it will, then people look and say, well, what are they doing? And then the culture begins to spread. So don't give up if you are working in a negative culture. Do the best that you can to influence where you can.
0: Well, I have certainly seen that in lots of places where the overall culture is less than ideal um, and there's many different versions of the out-of-balance cultures, and people will indeed create an oasis that says, in my patch of the business, this is not how we're going to run. We're going to treat each other differently, we're going to talk differently, and we're going to get results as a result of it. And then they tend not to worry so much about what's going on elsewhere, letting the rest of the culture come to them as opposed to trying to push it outward. Yeah. Very yeah. interesting. I have to come back on something you said, because this was just a point that you threw away in there. Every 28 days, you need to reinforce your core message. Yeah. Every 28 days, once a month. Yep. Or more.
2: Yes. Okay. And and, and I think people, and I just had another conversation. It's funny that all of this is coming together today, but I just had another conversation with an executive today, um, and they are they are looking to really be very deliberate about building a winning well culture throughout their whole company. They're an international company. And so they said, you know, the reason we are resonating with your book is because these are our values. And, and uh, we already have these values out there, but we are looking for tools to make sure that people understand what are the behaviors that re- will, will get the, you know, will get us to achieving the values that we want to achieve. And so they have a really interesting full court press on how are they communicating their values? How is it consistently showing up on the website? How is it showing up in all the communication that they're doing? And now their next step is and how do we build it into the leadership training at every level of the business? So I think that's what you really need to be thinking about, right? Is do you have a strategic plan for your culture Um, and if you don't then take a step back and say how do I how do I want to really make sure that we're heading in the direction that we want to be
0: heading okay okay that's interesting. I've also a strategic plan. I like that notion. I've often thought that you could get a company to recognize that it can do things differently, behave differently, and therefore be differently by getting them to focus on the times in which they have done things different and succeeded. Would yeah. you agree with that conclusion or not?
2: Uh, I totally do. I believe that as a, at a company level, and a part I also really believe it at a um, at a performance level for. For people, Um, you know, people get confident through success. So if you can isolate the behaviors of where, you know, if you're in this case of we thought outside the box, we did something different and it worked. If you share the stories about that, if you help people remember, yes, that last time you did do it and it worked. So go ahead and take that risk again and talk about it. It will definitely be a great way uh, to help improve the culture.
0: Okay. And I'm also reminded here on this one, my fundamental belief about human behavior is that we're far more motivated by the positive examples than we are by the negative examples. So I presume you would also say find the successful examples, not just the disasters.
2: Oh, absolutely. You know, uh, appreciative inquiry is a, is a great technique for that. It's, you know, tell me about a time that you worked on a team that was fantastic. What, what are the behaviors that people did? Well, how did people talk with one another, right? That's a great way to have a conversation about team dysfunction versus, gosh, why is this team so hard to deal with? Let's talk about what we need to do to fix it, okay. right? So if you talk about, okay, remember the time that you worked on a positive team? Okay, so we've now established you can be a team player, right? So how do we get more of those positive behaviors into our current situation?
0: All right. I love that one. So again, the notion is where's the culture on these two continuums, the humility versus confidence and the results versus relationships, and then to have a very strategic, deliberate plan as a leader, even a leader within your area of influence or a leader in the larger sense that you're going to communicate and communicate and communicate and find stories and examples and show people that it's possible. Um, And you said every 28 days. I just have to say that one more time. It's so important. (laughs) Let me shift this just a bit. Uh, We say we want leaders that inspire. It's a big word. Mm -hmm. It's hard to know what it is I do that inspires somebody. I know if it happens or not, but it's hard to have a checklist of what do I need to be doing if I'm inspiring. Is your four-point model or your two continuum the secret to inspiration?
2: Uh, well, first, let me say I don't think you can inspire someone. You can help them become inspired uh, themselves, but it's you know, it's a, is it a push or a pull, right? You know, you, you, I don't believe you can inspire someone with the you know, rah rah, go get them, right? It's it's how yeah. are you connecting them to what they value to what it is that you're trying to accomplish. And by helping to make that connection, it really draws out their intrinsic motivation to do what it is that, um, you know, what, to get them moving in the direction with you where you want them to head, but because they want to be there. And so and that's where, the, you know, in this model, the, you know, the, the inspiration comes from the whole confidence piece, but it can't come without that humility to say, I can't make anybody do anything. Right? Um, David Dye, my co-author, uh, in his other book, he, he talks about um, uh, everybody's a volunteer. You know, you've got to think about it that way. And if you, think, if you approach uh, people, even if you are paying them as a volunteer uh, and use some of those same behaviors, that's when you really are going to get um, the best out of people.
0: Well, that's an interesting notion of what it means to lead. And if you think about the mobility that we're expecting from millennials, for example, the notion that everybody is a volunteer in spite of you how much you pay them, that's an interesting idea. I also like your correction that inspiration is not something I can do to someone else. I can help someone become inspired only because I help connect them, their personality, their interests, their values, again, relationship-oriented, to what I, as a leader, am trying to accomplish. Back to my confidence and my humility as well. I see how the balance all fits in that one. Okay. One minute before we close, I have to ask about trust. You're voted as a top thought leader in trust by Trust Across America. What's the secret to building trust?
2: I really believe the secret to building trust is doing what you say you'll do every single time, um, showing up consistent with your values, um, when, that people know how you're going to respond to something, and that they're not having to second guess.
0: Great. All right. We could talk longer about that one. Thank you, Karen. It's been a fabulous show. With me Thank today- Thank you so much for having me. Great. Karen Hurt, CEO Let's Grow Leaders, the website letsgrowleaders.com if you're interested in online courses or to buy the book, Winning Well, Manager's Guide to Getting Results Without Losing Your Soul. Karen, I think the thing that just sticks out through this show is the notion of balance between being confident and humble between being results oriented and relationship oriented with me next week is Anne Louise Metz and Anne is an executive and we're going to talk about the transitions in her career she's crossed disciplinary lines she's crossed geographies and she's crossed cultures tune in to hear her experiences
1: thank you again for joining us for out of the comfort zone Tune in again for another edition with Dr. Wanda Wallace next Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Take charge this week.